Welcome to the Eater Upsell podcast from the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Daniel Janine. I'm here with Amanda Clute, our editor-in-chief. Hi, Dan. On Monday, December 11th at 8.01 a.m., Eater New York published a story called Mario Batali Steps Away from Restaurant Empire Following Sexual Misconduct Allegations. Indeed. This is a big story. Big story. Huge story for us. I thought we would bring in Serena Dye, who is the editor of Eater New York. And the editor of the story. And the editor of the story to talk about it. Hi, Serena. Hello. <laughs> Plus so, Matt Buchanan. We also, we, and Matt Buchanan. Of course. Why is Batali such a big deal? And I think this is for both of you. Sure. Uh, I think he's one of our best-known celebrity chefs. So he's had TV shows, starting with Molto Mario. He has restaurants all around the country. He has a steak in Italy and was really the front man for bringing it to the United States. He has, I don't know, pasta sauces and cookware lines. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He's just a huge, huge celebrity. Like I can't think of a bigger household name in the world of food than Mario Batali. Yeah, he's definitely the biggest. And also beyond that, I mean, a lot of TV chefs are just kind of TV chefs. But Mario's also acclaimed for his food. Um, I mean, when he first started out here in New York, he really stepped up the game in the New York dining scene as far as regional Italian went. So he has a lot of respect, not just from the general, you know, people in the middle of America, but also among the chef world. Um, People with awards and kind of the top of the top acclaim food-wise also have a huge amount of respect for Mario Batali. Yeah, like Babo is a great restaurant. Del Posto is a great restaurant. All, I mean, all of his restaurants yeah. are fucking phenomenal. Like Casa Mono, Lupa, the places he invests in in LA, Moza, uh, and he invests in the Spotted Pig. Like these are all really well known restaurants versus like a Guy Fieri. Just he's a celebrity, celebrity yeah. Just, yeah, great on TV, <laughs> not really known for his restaurant food. Yeah, even a lot of Top Chef people who people would maybe know, yeah. you know, they're right. not necessarily food. But he is, yeah, they're good restaurants, and he's a tastemaker. In terms of the New York restaurant scene, just anecdotally, I feel like when a new place opens, he almost, within the first couple of weeks, he will always christen the new kind of cool spots, and everyone gets excited mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, he's, he's also like the great. the father of the New York restaurant He's also great on Instagram and yeah. Twitter. He has, he has really developed a reputation for being a supporter of other chefs. I mean, a ton of people credit him with giving them support early on, and it helped, and gives them boosts in, in mm-hmm. business. So, Serena, do you maybe want to read the opening paragraph? Of the story. So this was written by our reporters Irene Plagianos and Kitty Greenwalls. About 10 years ago, at the after party for a wine auction in New Orleans, a woman in her 20s walked up to Mario Batali to introduce herself. As a chef, she was excited to meet one of the most revered figures in the restaurant industry. When they started talking, she recalls she realized that he'd been drinking and became what she characterized as creepy, just giving me this provocative, icky feeling. Minutes into their conversation, she recalls, he told her, come work for me, I'll pay you double what you're making. Moments later, someone bumped her glass, spilling wine all over her chest and down her scooped neck shirt. She alleges that Batali began rubbing her breast with his bare hands while saying something like, let me help you with that, as he groped her chest. Quote, he just went to town, and I was so shocked, the chef says. Jaw on the ground, I just stepped back from him in utter disgust and walked away. How much went into deciding that as the opening? Well, you know, we had a lot of women come to us with a lot of stories about stuff that he did. So it was just looking at all of them and seeing which one worked best as an example. This one in particular did because we had not one but two women who he had groped at parties and groped their chests in particular. So the behavior was almost 
you know, shockingly similar in that he was visibly intoxicated. Um, he was kind of giving weird vibes or was just so, so drunk. And then basically without even any sort of introduction, just groped these women's chests. There were three other women who who spoke to us with who agreed to be involved in the story. Can you talk about their anecdotes? Yeah. So um, several of them have had worked for him. So one woman had worked for him at Poe, which is this uh, restaurant that's now closed, but um, was kind of one of the first places that Batali really made his name. Um, And so she told us over the course of two years uh, while he was executive chef there, he would uh, come up behind her and kind of give her a bear hug and press up against her. Um, And it happened several times and always in this place, like this passageway between the kitchen and the dining room where it was really just going to be them. And she, and she said, like, besides that, he was just really crude and always, you know, making sexual comments toward her and the rest of the staff. Um, and, and it kept going until he left, is, is what she was saying. Um, another person who spoke with us had worked for him later on. Um, and only it, it wasn't continuous, but when she first started working with him out of nowhere, he gr- kind of grabbed her backside um, when she wasn't paying attention. And she actually confronted him about it, you know, very carefully. And he said, what are you, a lesbian? And then nothing really happened for a little bit after that. But toward the end of her time working with him, he allegedly wouldn't move when she was trying to leave the space. And basically the only way she could leave the space to go use the restroom was to straddle him. And when she came back from the restroom, he still refused to move. And basically she had to straddle him again. And she just was telling us that it was a completely humiliating experience to have her boss Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not move for her. What was the timeline of this investigation? When did you first start hearing about it? So, I mean, I think people have been saying for a while that he's like, oh, he's kind of a creep or mm-hmm. et cetera. So you hear, hear things here and there. Um, but, you know, with all this uh, sexual harassment stuff and allegations coming out with everywhere across the different industries, I think people are, are a little bit more high alert. So the reason we started even looking into it is because someone had asked Batali at a party, like, hey, tell us about your Del Posto, which is now run by Melissa Rodriguez, um, a female chef, and it's kind of a big deal. And he was asked a question about women in the kitchens, and he said, you know, I I hire women for their smarts, not for their vaginas, something along the lines of that. And it was a very crude quote, you know, having your boss refer to you by your genitals is, is like kind of strange, but <laughs> <laughs> not ideal, not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we actually just reblogged this and made it a headline and just had him said what he said. Um, and the crudeness of the quote actually brought people out on our Facebook page. So people were publicly right. posting on our Facebook page like, oh, he's so gross. He groped my friend at a party like X number of years ago. And then someone else was saying, yes, he like I've heard this many things. He's groped this many people. And then someone else saying like, yes, I worked at a restaurant after he left and the women were terrified of him. Obviously, we couldn't use those Facebook comments, but we're like, shit, people are like ready. Right, like, there's something here. There's something here, yeah. So we reached out and people started— Who did you reach out to? You reached out to the commenters on We reached Facebook? out to the commenters, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they started saying, telling us— uh, One of the—you um, know, one of the women said it was her friend who was at an industry party like a decade ago. And then the woman left the party was like, oh, yeah, Batali just kind of like groped my butt there. And uh, we, we ended up not getting in touch with that one, but it was stuff like that. And it was very similar to other stories we had heard. But anyway, when we realized that, hey, maybe people are ready to talk now and this is something we need to pursue, we hired a, a reporter and just to go at it. And she just started reaching out to people like crazy. 
she sent in, like a bunch of LinkedIn messages, just people who had said they had worked at the Vitali restaurants in general. And the interesting thing is we didn't, we, we knew this was a really competitive story. So, uh, and we knew that people might be nervous to talk and we didn't know who might be so close to Vitali. And we, you know, you never know how, whether or not this is true. So you, you try to be careful. So when our reporter approached people, she said, hey, I just wanted to talk about chefs in the industry. And, and behavior and such, and kept it vague, didn't even mention Batali's name. And uh, nearly every person she talked to was like, oh, you want to talk to me about Batali, right? Like, no way. Yeah, so they, most people, you know, they kind of knew where, a, a thing, it sounded like word had been going around for a while, and like this reputation was not something that was limited to a, limited to a small amount of people. Yeah, and at some point after she started looking into it, I think word spread that Eater was investigating because I started getting random emails from people that I know saying like, hey, I heard you guys are looking into this. Here's Hmm. someone you should reach out to. Um, And that's actually how we ended up with our second reporter on the story is a friend of a friend told me that she was independently investigating this and had some sources and some reporting. So we reached out to her, her name's Kitty, and brought her on board too, which is highly unusual for us. Like we do almost all of our reporting and editing in-house. So this was kind of a special case that we brought in two freelance reporters to team up on this. Mm -hmm. So why did you reach out to a freelance reporter initially? Why didn't we keep it in-house? Well, uh, our our team, we just knew it was going to be so big and we wanted someone to dedicate all their time to this because we knew it was going to be part of that work. It's so much work. So you can't really do your day job, at least for us, Mm -hmm. while doing this investigation. Like if you're a much bigger publication where you can just put a reporter on a story and they can own it. It's a full-time job. Yeah. We paid her. We're, you know, we're paying her for the story, but also by the hour of how much work goes into it because you never know what's going to end up being published or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to predict at the outset what kind of it, how big the investigation is going to be. So if it was published on Monday, how long ago did you did we take her on? I, don't know, I think at the end of October, yeah, is when I started reaching out to mm-hmm. to her and um, she started doing stuff. I, I basically, I mean, for the first few weeks, I I didn't talk to her that much even. Like I, we did check-ins, but she kind of just went at it and and then after Kitty came on, a week later, we realized it was extremely competitive. We had heard that the New York Times, the New York Times, yeah, the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do how do you hear those things? I heard because the New York Times was reaching out to a wide array of people, like contacts in my network. Like we would be having coffee, and they'd mm-hmm. say, "Oh, do you know the New York Times reached out to me to ask if I had any." like stories about Batali and also they were doing the same thing for Ken Friedman. So I think their strategy was like just be really broad with it, reach as many people as possible mm-hmm. and hopes something comes in and they had multiple people asking around. So it wasn't just the reporters on it. It was like also the Rome bureau chief mm-hmm. asked a friend of mine if she knew anything and like someone else's assistant asked another friend. And when you hear that, you you say... The journalist in me says, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then we knew um, they are much better resource than we are. Right. So, I mean, it's it's it sounds shitty to talk about it from a competitive sense, but you have to because that's what our job is. So we knew they might get more or a better story, but we need to be first. So that was our main goal. So when did it start coming together? Probably like two and a half, three, I think like three weeks ago, we... We knew we had enough. Yeah, we knew what, or we we need to see what what can we mm-hmm. do to have enough. And we buckled down as like, what is, what is the story here? What is the actual thing that we need? And how do you, what is enough? For us, since we didn't have someone who wanted to get, put their name to it, we needed, I was, I wanted at least three people with similar enough accounts of actual groping. Hmm. Because that's where I feel like that crosses enough of a line for enough people to be like, this is a problem. 
I think when you have a person putting their name to it, you need less. Like you could have maybe one or two people. Mm -hmm. There's no really hard and fast rule. It depends on the publication. And some people, you know, like the we can talk about the New York Times Ken Freeman piece later, but, you know, them having all those women with their names and their photos is so powerful versus someone who is not going to put their name to it. But also we have to respect these people's wishes like Mm -hmm. they don't want themselves to be associated with a story for the rest of their careers. Yeah. yeah, and it's a very small industry, and also there was a. We can talk a little bit of the fear. There was a of, there was a lot of fear over Batali being vindictive. I mean, mm-hmm. all these women had heard stories about him being vindictive toward other people who they didn't like or experienced it themselves. Like um, the the Poe woman said, they you know they had issued. They talked to their other owner about it, and and eventually they asked him to stop reporting any complaints to Batali because Batali the next day would just come in stronger. So they you know yeah. they were they were also just scared. When you guys decided that we had enough, what is then the process? So the thing about having sources who aren't naming themselves is that we have to be sure that it's this true. Like we are accusing this man of some stuff that is really, you know, some of it could cross into illegal eventually. So we want to make sure that it's right. So we were confirming like, did this person actually work where they said they worked? Mm -hmm. Did, you know, did this person actually, did they report anything? You know, did this happen at Mm -hmm. this time? Was this person here at that that other time? So did they tell a friend? mm -hmm. Is there any evidence like a text message or an email exchange? Like what is there that can make us feel like on our end, we 100% believe this person? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of this weird process because you, you hear about someone alleging harassment and my personal instincts is like, yes, of course I believe you. But as a journalist, you can't, you got you kind of got to get rid of that instinct a little mm-hmm. bit and treat their story as any other thing. Like what's, what's your proof? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't know. They could have other motives. They could be out to destroy someone. So you have to make sure that this is actually for real and you're not just a pawn in some greater strategy. So each incident that we had, we, we had to have also talked to someone who like maybe they told a friend really right after. For one of ours, um, the owner of the restaurant confirmed that multiple servers at that restaurant complained to him. And he didn't know who the woman was that we had spoke with, but our reporter had him name all the names of people who had reported incidents to him. And it happened to be that one of those names was the woman who we spoke with as well. So that helps kind of confirm like, okay, they don't know each other. They don't know we're both talking to them, but this kind of confirms that she did. She claimed she reported the incidents and he's confirming that this particular person told him about the incidents. And you're not telling him when he says the name, you're not saying, oh, that's the that's person the one. you heard. You can't yeah. say yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't know. And then we put a fact checker on it uh, who had to call up every single person and all of their corroborating contacts. And then we have luckily an in-house legal team and they had to look over every single thing. Oh, and then we had to contact, obviously, Batalian. Right. So when did company. that happen? Yeah, so Tuesday night we scrambled to send them stuff. So basically, the I think whispers have been going around, but we had to assume that they had no idea. So I basically wrote out every single allegation that we had in the piece, from the physical stuff in each individual incident to broader allegations, like you uh, promoted a culture of harassment. Like multiple people say that your actions gave people carte blanche to do whatever mm-hmm. they wanted in the restaurants regarding women. Um, so So everything from like super specific to bigger things, every single thing we had. And we didn't necessarily put everything that we sent to them in the piece itself. So one of the things is like, if stuff we're not quite sure we're going to put it in yet or not, sometimes the person responding will just like cop up to it 
mm-hmm. anyway. But I think we've conclu- included most of it. Yeah, we included, yeah. Nearly nearly everything we sent to them. So we sent to them and then they wanted, you know, we usually try and get people at least 24 hours to respond to something like this. They reached out and said, hey, can we have more time? No one else has reached out to us yet. So we can... What does that mean to you that no one else has reached out? That means we're the first. Yeah, that meant that that gave us at least some sense of security. Like, okay, well, at least the New York Times isn't publishing theirs tomorrow. Right. And they got back to us Wednesday morning. We were hoping we could publish by Thursday. And they asked if we could wait until Monday. Like, mm-hmm. they wanted to give us a statement Sunday. And we figured since since we were the only ones, like, that was fine. And okay. if that meant that it was going to give him time to put together, like... A reasonable statement it would make the story better but also you have to think this is a human being and he needs this is a big deal so he needs time to figure his stuff out right. and he also has this huge company i mean the company's involved too it's something like yeah, 250 million dollars net worth of this thing and like a thousand people yeah all these people work it. for him and there are all these relationships and i think as much as you do want to just like publish right away yeah. you have to respect it this is a big deal. And they had agreed if anyone else reached out to them, they would let us know immediately and give us a statement first so that we could run first. And we kind of just had to trust them on it. And it actually ended up giving us a little more breathing room to have the legal team on it and the fact checker and, and yeah yeah even with the breathing room it was still like <laughs> yeah yeah dash. everyone was still at the office on sunday one thing that also happened was that they batali himself as a as a person got his own pr person and then we had a separate person dealing with bnb which is the company that kind of manages all the restaurants so immediately we kind of knew like they're kind of distancing themselves from each other a little bit like so batali's statement was basically you know, he does it. He didn't address individual incidents, but he said that the behavior is basically sounds like him. He was like, yep, that yeah, it sounds like me. We'll be right back. What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined and less time consuming? So even when you're busy, you could still be smart about the way you hire. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work actively notifying quality candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com eat. That's ZipRecruiter.com eat. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com eat. And what about what about in the restaurants? How have his restaurants in New York dealt with this? Everyone on the New York team actually went to Batali restaurants on Monday just to see how things were. They're hopping. They were like super busy. Really? Um, just of as course, busy as yeah. yeah. Busy as busy as they always were. And it was like cold on Monday and Mondays are slow, but like it just speaks to how popular his restaurants are anyway, yeah. as in as news like was coming out. But people had been taking down the Batali books from the shelves at Lupa. And the the company confirmed that all merchandise is quote unquote under review. They're not saying that it's gone forever, but you know, I think for now they're taking They're reviewing the merchandise. Yeah. And I think Ely did the same thing because 
Batali is a minority shareholder in the, the USA Italy's and all of his pasta sauces and stuff have been replaced by Lydia, Lydia Bastianic. Uh, her, her cookbooks and stuff are more prominently displayed now. So then what about his business interests or his, his stakes in the restaurants? So the structure is weird in that each individual restaurant has different owners. So oh. like Lupa, Joe and uh, Mario, like our owners in that and but, you know, they can have, like, different investors, like a bunch if, you know, you, Dan Janine, wanted to, you know, have a share in that restaurant. Like, I could be yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't mean you're going to own all the restaurants. Also, right. he famously gives ownership to the chefs, you know, like mm-hmm. a small percentage. So that would be different for every restaurant group. Mm-hmm. So he can step away from day-to-day operations. But if you're eating at one of the restaurants, like Mario's making money off of it. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if he sold ownership. Also, he's like, you know, going back to him being kind of this image of a charming, generous and charismatic person is that he was also super involved in charities and boards Mm -hmm. and, and, and like kind of painted himself as a community guy. So a lot of these nonprofits and boards that he were involved with are kind of like kicking him off, kicking him off. Yeah, I mean. He's, he has a lot of celebrity friends. He's like friends with Bono and, um, you know, Bono, Bono's nonprofit Red, you know, has said that they're kind of ending their relationship with Patali. One of the more interesting things that happened after we published is that the New York Times published their piece about Ken Friedman that we had been hearing about for yeah. so long. I imagine this piece. Ken Friedman is the. Ken Friedman is the owner of the Spotted Pig, uh, the Breslin and the, the John Dory Oyster, John Dory Oyster Bar, Bar, White Gold, the Salvation Salt. Taco. So a bunch of places in New York, but also with April Bloomfield, Tos- with April Bloomfield, but also Tosca Cafe in San Francisco, and a new place, Hearth and Hound yeah, in, in Los LA, Angeles, that yeah. just opened. I'm pretty sure the Times fast tracked their big expose and Ken, but they seem to be ready to go. They already had photo shoots with all the women. We had sources telling us that they couldn't talk to us about. About Batali or Ken because the Times like, asked them not asked to. Them not to. And so we thought it was drop because when I when that source told me, I thought it was going to drop the next week. And just like week yeah, a week passed by, but they had a lot of like Batali was a regular at the Spotted Pig because he yeah he's he a was part owner. he was a part owner. And the the stories about what Ken did and were were pretty grotesque. Yeah. I, I found yes. like a yes, lot they of were bad. a lot of inappropriate touching and and texting. Texting and general harassment. Oh, seeing um, that text screenshot was like, uh, yeah. Gross. And then there was a videotape they said in the story of Mario groping someone who was unconscious. Yeah, this which, manager had said that she like had to get involved because on over security tape she witnessed yeah. Batali like yes all going on on the the third floor of the spotted all of the pig, third floor of the spotted pig, which um, is a notorious kind of New York VIP room. Celeb, yeah, you know. Jay Z, a very you know. cool hangout. Like it's very cool to be invited to a party at the third floor of the Spotted Pig. Darker side, uh, but then, apparently had a nickname. Yeah. yeah, they yeah apparently in the story they call it the rape room, which is horrifying. They're de- uh, they're denying <laughs> the the Spotted Pig people are like denying of course, that of it's called yeah. the rape room. Yeah, and Charlie Rose was known for having his birthday parties there. Another uh, <laughs> accused. Yeah. A- accused harasser. Um, but yeah, and then the Washington Post piece came out and. I'm sure there will be more pieces of a similar nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know my inbox is filled with people who feel like they need to speak out now. And we are encouraging more people to get in touch with us. We have an anonymous signal line that people can text. We'll see what happens from here. Let's say uh, 
you know, Irene and Kitty talked to so, so many women and really spent a lot of time listing these women's stories. And these women spent a lot of time talking to both our reporters and fact checkers repeatedly, kind of having to relive instances in their lives that they really were traumatic for them. And so, you know, I just have a lot of respect for the stories that they told and and, and hope that this will make an impact on on at least Batali's restaurants. Yeah, you almost feel cliche when you say something like, oh, these women are so brave, we couldn't have done it without them. But it's hard to overstate that. Like, it's so hard to listen to the stories. I can't even imagine what it's like to have to tell the stories to a stranger and then tell it again to a fact checker and, like, keep reliving these things. Yeah. Like, what, what I said that we were grilling them about, is this true, like, that, you know, that discomfort with it? I, I mean, I can't imagine being in the position where, like, yes, it's, you know, I told yeah, like, you this a million times. This happened to me. Now I have to tell you. Now you don't believe me. Now I have to prove myself to you. Like, why am I even doing this? This yeah. could end up just hurting me in the end. Yeah. And then not knowing if it is a really powerful person, if they're going to come after you. That's another thing we didn't mention is that so much of our correspondence had to happen in phone calls or in person or over encrypted messaging. We used, I know, initials or code names for people because we didn't want the information to ever be able to get out. Like Mm -hmm. if we got sued, we didn't want people to be able to find out who we were talking to. Well, Serena Dye, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Eater Upsell. One more time, I just want to say a quick thank you to Serena Dye and Matt Buchanan for all their hard work on the story and to Serena for stopping in to chat with us about it. If you liked what you heard today, it would be really helpful for us if you rated the show and subscribed to it on whatever platform you use and maybe pass it off to a friend. The Eater Upsell is hosted by me, Daniel Janine, and Amanda Clute, who is our editor-in-chief. Our studio team is Miles Ewell, Paige Bethman, Carrie Clements, Alex Allreich, and Pedro Elvira. And the executive producer is Maureen Giannone.